You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome to the program. It's hour one on this Wednesday. We could use some sleep late night. Some great baseball, NBA as well. A lot to talk about. Come on in and stay a while. We got drama with the Philadelphia 76ers. There was drama last night with the L.A. Dodgers and Cody Bellinger. The uh, Astros are still alive with the Red Sox. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. This program brought to you by M-Drive. Compete with the younger guys with M-Drive, the supplement for driven men that supports healthy testosterone levels, boost energy. Visit mdrivedan.com. Free shipping, 60-day guarantee. Don't let age beat you. Get M-Drive. Got a poll question, play of the day, stat of the day. Say good morning to our streaming partner, Peacock. You can watch the show for free. Download the app. It's free. And uh, you can join us. And if not, you can listen on our radio affiliates around the country, numbering nearly 400. The great Bob Costas will join us coming up a little bit later on, recapping all the baseball. If anyone leaves a sporting event and misses a great comeback, then that's on them, especially in the playoffs. But we do know some fans have made mistakes before, and maybe some fans in Los Angeles yesterday might have left. Dodgers were down 5-2 in the eighth inning. They'd never come back when they were trailing by three or more after seven innings in their long postseason history. So what's L.A. do? They turned to Cody Bellinger, the former MVP, who hit just 165 on the season. But Bellinger putting that behind him, a three-run homer, tied the game. Mookie Betts delivered the uh, game winner, and uh, they win 6-5. They now trail Atlanta 2-1 in the series. Doesn't feel like that, that they're down 2-1. But uh, after those wins, those kind of wins, those sometimes feel like more than just one victory. A few more outs in this series could have been basically over, but now Los Angeles has momentum, and they head into game four. Each game has been decided late by just one run for the Dodgers and Braves fans. It's exhausting for the rest of us. It's fun baseball. And I started to wonder about Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, you know, when you're getting late into a game, has been great in the postseason so far. And, you know, that's what you want. He's struggled, but found a way to somehow be able to come up with a big hit. And, uh, you know, it was a rough regular season for him. But the Dodgers, they're 10-0 against the Braves in their last 10 meetings at Dodger Stadium. 23-4 and against the Braves in Dodger Stadium. That goes back to the uh, 2013 National League Division Series. The Astros, meanwhile, they tied their game um, at 2-2 in the eighth inning, then blew it open, seven runs in the ninth inning, beating the Red Sox and uh, evening the uh, American League Championship Series at two games apiece. And once again, the Astros do it. They scored all their uh, runs in the ninth inning with two outs, matching the most runs in an inning uh, with two outs in postseason history. They're great with two outs. They've scored 36 two-out runs this postseason. That's the most by any American League team prior to the World Series in baseball history. That clutch gene that they still had. And, uh, you know, you can start to look at some of the calls because in the postseason we care about this. A strike here, a ball here, a missed call here. And it just felt like it was bad for both teams last night in, uh, in Fenway. And, and I know there's going to be this cry for, oh, we need to have, you know, robotic umpires or do what tennis does where you have a strike zone and you have a beep when it's in and, a, you know, there's no beep when it's not. We're not there yet. Um, 
I, I would just love for these umpires to have to answer after a game, just to say, give us an idea of, of what you're looking at. Because if you're missing 15 to 20 pitches in a game, including a big one in the ninth inning, then you know that can change a series. That can change the fate for players, managers, GMs, certainly the fans. And I don't think we're there yet with the ro- robotic umpire or you're going to have a strike zone, an automated strike zone. But I do think we'll get to it because if you have the technology, why not use the technology? And I know you're going to get the old school, which I'm supposed to be part of. They're going to go, oh, you got to. That's part of the flavor of the game where the umpire misses a call. Okay, but then is it the flavor when he misses a call at first base or at home plate or second base? No, it's not the flavor. Oh, that's part of the folklore. That's what makes the game so great, the interpretation of a strike zone. Really? Not for me. If I'm a pitcher, do I go, ah, it's part of the game. It's part of the personality of it. He just missed that call there. Nathan Avaldi is probably not going, man, that's part of the game. You know, I'm all right with that. I never understood why umpires would give great pitchers more latitude or longitude when it came to a strike zone. You know, when you're going, uh, hey, Greg Maddox, it's Greg Maddox, you got to give him that, or Tom Glavin, like, no. It's like a phantom foul that Michael Jordan would go to the hoop and you knew somebody was going to get whistled for a foul, whether he fouled him or not. It's like, that's Michael Jordan. Don't you give that to the guys who aren't as good to help him out a little bit. But this is always going to be that curiosity of, I don't, I just don't know why baseball doesn't go, this is how we call a strike and this is how we call a ball. Not, you know, I always give the high strike. Uh, you know, I never give that high strike. You know, I'll give you on the black. Like, I never understood that. It shouldn't be, do we do that in any other sport? where you got an official, uh, maybe a, a back judge in the NFL goes, uh, you know, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to let you put your hands on the wide receiver. Or, I don't let you put your hand on the wide receiver. No, this is how you call a game. But for some reason, we've allowed Joe West and some of these other umpires for decades to be able to have their own personality. And I don't know if baseball's headed in that direction, but there were some pitches in the Red Sox-Astros game where I went, man, oh, man, this guy's – and I don't want to mention names. He was consistently bad. You know, and He was consistent for both teams, just bad. And you go, how, do, how does baseball not – and this is supposed to be your elite umpires. This is a postseason. This is a reward here. And you're going, I, I'm missing something here. And I know sometimes the angle – that camera, that center field camera, is not really right, you know, behind second base looking in. It's off to the side a little bit. So it is deceiving. But they do have stats, analytics, of course, that will tell you what is a missed call. And missed call usually means it has to be six inches outside of the strike zone. If you miss a call, it's got to be kind of a blatant missed call, not just something that's on the edge. But watching last night, uh, yesterday, they see a different game than I do, and I don't think it's great for baseball. Not when you're at this stage of the season, and you had that on display last night. Yes, Paulie? It was interesting, though. Red Sox fans are very upset because Ivaldi's uh, curveball they thought was a strike, and the inning would have been over. It would have been tied 2-2. But it's the ninth inning. If that umpire was having a tight strike zone side-to-side, nine innings in, shouldn't the pitchers know this? 
shouldn't they be discussing the dugout and realize you may not get that pitch that you and you by the ninth inning you would know what that ump is doing. You're tracking every pitch. That's all the pitching coaches do. They should know what they can get. Into. Yeah, but that wasn't one of those where you go, yeah, he's not going to give that to me. That was one of those where that's strike. That's it. That's strike. And then they show it from up above. And then you see it where it goes over the plate. Because sometimes you can throw a breaking ball and it sort of comes around the plate and then where the catcher catches it. That was, where's it going to go over the plate? Oh, yeah, that's inside corner. Yeah, that, that's definitely a strike. Actually, that was an outside part of the plate, but that was strike. Absolutely. Yeah, Paul. You got to do like Kenley Jansen of the Dodgers and just strike everybody. That's out. true. That's true. Take the umpire out of it. Yeah, that was great. There was a lot of drama there. And I was busy. I was busy. I was LA centric, although I flipped around a little bit. I was watching the Lakers. I watched the Bucks get their uh, championship rings, and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Thought it was wonderful. That was great, great night there in Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, you got the Nets in town and they rough them up. Giannis looked great. But uh, flipping, you know, back and forth and watching the Dodgers game. And I'm thinking, man, 5-2. They're, they're not doing anything offensively. And Bellinger hits a ball. And this is how it sounded on KLAC, the Dodgers radio network with Charlie Steiner with the call. And a fly ball to right center field. It's well hit. And it is gone. A three-run home run for Bellinger. We've got a new game. It's tied at five. You know, it's little things sometimes. He got on base in the Giants series with a walk, and then Taylor hits the home run, and then this one, that pitch is up and went after it. I didn't think it was out, and it just kept carrying into the night, and Charlie Steiner with the call. McLevin, you got a poll question for me. Do you want to put up, should they computerize the strike zone mm. to see what the fans are? It's kind of like a negative question, but I still don't totally get why they're not doing it to some extent. I don't know how, you know, the rhythm of the game. That's what I want to know. The games are so long now. Yep. I mean, sometimes 30, 45, an hour longer than they used to be. Um, the Dodgers using nine pitchers. I mean, the games are just long. I don't want them to go longer. I want them to get the call right, but I just don't know if we... Remember, replay was instant replay, and then it's now just called replay because it takes forever. And I think the game... You can have a four-hour game, but I like a four-hour game when it, it actually moves along, not let's start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. And that would be my biggest apprehension here. How do you then signal a strike? Is there a sound effect? Uh, is there a red light or a blue light that comes on? Like, I, I don't know how they would do that, but I'd be curious about it. And I'm, I'm open to it. It's just because I've watched baseball for, you know, better part of 50 years. And you sometimes will watch and you know that umpire doesn't like that hitter or doesn't like that pitcher. Plain and simple. I'm going to give you that pitch. I'm not giving you that pitch. I remember talking to uh, somebody in baseball. I don't, I don't want to even hint at who it was, but they talked about a uh, hitter and said he's always going to get, if he takes a pitch, he's going to get that call, always. And I went, why? Because, and I was told, because he's bleeping Wade Boggs. And I went, <laughs> so Wade Boggs takes a pitch, the umpire knows Wade Boggs is going to be correct more than the umpire will be. And this is coming from somebody who is a person of authority who would say, yeah, 
that you have umpires because when when this is brought up, when they have these meetings, and you know somebody say, hey, you know these pitches or these you know these are outside, in their minds they're like, who's at the plate? Did they take a pitch? And if they if Bonds took a pitch, if Tony Gwynn took a pitch, if Wade Boggs took a pitch, that umpire knows, man, I I don't want to be. I don't want to show up Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn. You know, like, these guys don't make mistakes there. That's Wade effing Boggs. <laughs> yes, Paul. Uh, Tony Gwynn, the great guy from the Padres, uh, he only got kicked out of one game in his career, and the story goes that he was arguing with the umpire, which was Joe West, by the way, who's no, retiring. Yeah. And he goes, uh, you know how I know that pitch was uh, a ball? Because I didn't swing at it. And that was the <laughs> opening line of the, the argument by Tony Gwynn. By the way, Cody Bellinger, in the seventh inning or later this postseason, is batting 571. That's the the highest average by any player with more than five uh, plate appearances. All right, we'll take a break. There's a lot to get to, and we'll certainly uh, talk to Bob Costas about the baseball. The situation in Philadelphia is not getting better anytime soon. Ben Simmons basically said, uh, hey, I don't want to practice, and now he's been suspended. Crazy day yesterday. I thought, okay, this is this is when Ben grows up and he shows he's tough. Like, I still don't know why. Who is Ben mad at? That's why I want to know. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Before we check in with Marcus Hayes, the Philadelphia Inquirer columnist, here's some comments yesterday. Doc Rivers on kicking Ben Simmons out of practice. It was a distraction today. Uh, I didn't think he wanted to do what everybody else was doing. And it was early. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, just told him he should leave then. And we went on with practice. And then Joe LNB talked to the media about Ben Simmons. At this point, I don't care about that man, honestly. He does whatever he wants. Uh, you know, that's not my job. Uh, you know, that's those guys' jobs. Uh, you know, I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, uh, win some games, uh, you know, play hard every night, uh, try to lead, you know, the guys that we have here. Uh, and I'm sure they feel the same way because, you know, our chemistry has been excellent uh, despite, you know, everything that's been happening in the, uh, the last few months. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, uh, I, don't, I don't really care. Oh, but wait, there's one more from Joel Embiid. But at the end of the day, our job is not to babysit somebody. Uh, you know, we, you know, we get paid to, we're just on the court, go out, uh, play hard, uh, win some games. Uh, that's all we get paid for. We don't get paid to come out here and, you know, try to babysit somebody. And, uh, so that's, that's not our job. And I'm sure my teammates feel that way. That is courtesy MDC Sports Philadelphia. Let's bring in Marcus Hayes, the Philadelphia Inquirer columnist. What the hell happened yesterday? <laughs> They'd had enough. They've just had enough. I mean, Ben's been there for, you know, counting his quarantine more than a week. And um, he hasn't engaged with his teammates. He won't acknowledge people in the building. He talks to the, the, D, or the, I guess the G League coaches now, but he won't talk to his own coaches. I mean, he's, he's committing career suicide because, Dan, I mean, what team – 
is going to take a chance that he's not going to do the same thing with them once he lands there. Who is he mad at? He's mad at Doc Rivers for not continuing to defend him and not promoting him as a point guard. At the end of last season, when they lost game seven, uh, one of my colleagues, David Murphy, asked Doc, do you think Ben can be the point guard of a championship team? And Doc clearly doesn't. As uh, Doc was a point guard himself and a very similar point guard to Ben Simmons. And he said, I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. He didn't say yes. That's, that's the problem. And then after Doc spoke, Joel Embiid was asked, what do you think the turning point of the game was? And he said, you know, when we didn't make the, when we didn't take the dunk with three and a half minutes left. So he's mad at them. He's embarrassed by the reaction from him, not taking that dunk. And he's kind of, he's in a spot, I think personally, where he thinks a fresh start changes everything where Philadelphia is mean to him. And if he gets out of Philadelphia, everything will be better because I, you know, no, we're, we're in 19, we're in eighteen fifteen, and nobody knows what happened in Philadelphia, wherever he goes next. I, I don't know what he's thinking there. What happens today? Uh, nothing. I mean, he doesn't go, he didn't fly with the team. He's not with them um, for their first game tonight. And I, the, the Sixers are weird. Cause they never practice after a, the day after the game, especially a road game. So they won't practice tomorrow. Doc Rivers said, hey, you know, we'll see what happens Thursday. Well, nothing's going to happen Thursday. Guys come in for treatment if they want it. They maybe do some film stuff. Ben won't be asked to do the film stuff because he wasn't involved in the game. So it'll be before the shoot-around Friday before we know kind of where the next shoe drops because there won't be another practice. So I don't expect him to play anytime soon. I think Doc has – had enough finally after a year of carrying water for lying for Ben Simmons, you know, and, and insulting anyone who deigned to ask, well, Ben Simmons has these deficiencies. Can you fix them this way, this way? This, oh, you have to treasure him. He's special. I, I think he's embarrassed of how he acted last year, feels betrayed. So does Joel Embiid, who carried water for him a lot. Um, so I just don't think he's going to play or get paid, more importantly, until he – capitulates and I'm not sure that that's going to happen anytime soon either I just wonder he he's trying to take the uh uh James Harden approach he's just not as good as James Harden like James Harden is still (laughs) valuable even if he's out of shape and doesn't want to play for Houston Ben Simmons still can't shoot he's still a liability in certain areas here who's going to want to trade for him like do you have actual teams that would actually be interested in him I mean, I think Cleveland would be interested in him, in him as, a, as a rebuilding centerpiece to sort of do whatever he wants and, sell, and market the team, but certainly no contender. I mean, he's putting himself in a position where no team that is viable can risk his psychology, can risk his mental state, not to mention the shooting. I mean, I think he'd be a spectacular powerful, you know, Dennis Rodman with a handle, Draymond Green with, you know, better, even better passing ability, maybe not as good a defender as Draymond, but he wants to be a point guard and he wants to do things his own way. And he wants to be a point guard who doesn't have to shoot and doesn't have to uh, be accountable. So it's, it's a very, very small box, but I think it's a place like Cleveland where things are horrible and they're, they need a, they need a centerpiece is a spot. They, They just don't have anything. The Sixers would be interested in trading for to make them, decent you know they don't have pieces in Cleveland that 
can play, that can break the starting lineup. Well, I look at Ben, you, you can't put him in a situation where it's a high-pressure situation. He really has to go to a team that doesn't have any chance of winning. Therefore, he doesn't get into these situations where he doesn't want to shoot a big, big free throw or make a big play, a big dunk. And I agree with you. He's not a point guard. He's, he wants to be Magic Johnson. Well, Magic played at a time when he didn't need to have a jumper. He, he did get a, a, a jumper or at least a set shot. Ben doesn't have that. You can be 6'9 and have a good handle, but in today's NBA, if you're going to play the point, you got to be able to make free throws and you got to at least be respectable from, you know, 15 to 18 feet. Or like Giannis, I mean, you have to be willing to fail. That's the issue with Ben. It's not that he can't make free throws. I mean, he hasn't lately, but it's not that he can't make free throws at a, at a clip where you don't hack a Ben in the middle of the game. I mean, that that's kind of over. And he's, he's not a good shooter, but you can shoot 31% from 15 feet and out and still be a threat. I mean, your head fake works, but he won't do it. it, it like Giannis has a, is not a good shooter. Is a, you know, there's a ritual that, you know, road teams go through to embarrass him on a free throw line, but he's so brave. Yeah. He's so courageous. He's such a man that he doesn't care about that because he wants to win and he wants to do what's right. He wants to do what's best. And that's the paradox with Ben. He wants to go somewhere to win, but he doesn't want to do what it takes to win. Yeah. Well, when you've been coddled and we talked about this the last time that, you know, why I love Giannis because he had to prove himself. He works hard every, I mean, he's still working hard and, and he's not afraid of being laughed at embarrassed because he, he just wants to be great. Ben gets laughed at and then he wants to go into a shell and then say, stop doing that to me instead of being a man, step up and go, Hey, I'm going to be great. I want to be great. I want to prove everybody wrong. And he just, Hey, Send me someplace else. All right, send you someplace else. And then what happens when things go wrong? Well, I mean, in your profession, you've been at the pinnacle of your profession for years, right? I'm near the top of my profession. I have looked ridiculous thousands of times, even, you know, after I arrived or whatever. I'm sure there are tapes of Dan Patrick out there you don't want anybody to see. But that's what it takes to become better. And that's the other thing that people don't realize about Ben Simmons. Just because he looks like an Adonis and he's ripped up and he's got a good handle, it doesn't mean he's much better than he was when he got here from LSU. Yeah. He, he has not progressed as a player or a person. You know, he went to LSU under, you know, protest, tanked for a year, and was the number one overall pick. His plan worked. But he's the same person that I met in New York City in the ballroom at the Hilton in the pre-draft of media availability six years later. It's the same guy. He's the same spoiled, entouraged, um, immature, narcissistic, smart, capable athlete that he was back then. He just hasn't, he hasn't grown. I remember when Kobe got embarrassed when he was 18 years of age, the air ball and the playoffs and, but, but you know, that was motivation. All the great players are motivated. Something. Jordan Jordan would, you know, create something to be motivated. You know, Magic was motivated. He wanted to beat Bird. Bird was motivated. Like, the greats want to be motivated. I don't know what motivates Ben Simmons. Uh, money and attention. That's all he cares about. Yeah. That's all he's ever cared about. Money and attention. I mean, Kobe misses a free throw. He builds a gym in his house to practice free throws at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know? 
Michael Jordan gets beat up his first year in the NBA. He goes back to UNC and he starts working out with the track team and the football team to get stronger and faster. You're not seeing Ben, you know, working out with the Australian rules football team, national team, or the rugby team to get stronger and faster and better and tougher. You know, he's going to Wimbledon with pretty, pretty ladies. You know, he's buying a house. He's going on Instagram and he's showing you on Instagram or Twitter a, a video of him making a jump shot that he never takes in the game. <laughs> it's, 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 it's insane. I mean, I, I don't care if you make a thousand of them in this gym with your trainer. Take one in a game. What happens on Friday night? I just think it's I think we're in this holding pattern for a while and he'll be fined more. And I, I think at some point the Sixers may seek relief, you know, like a breach of contract thing and try to get out of the deal. But they're not going to trade him for nothing. They're, they're just not going to let him win. Daryl Morey is a, a very difficult guy to deal with the Sixers president. And, you know, he'll stand on principle until he can't stand any longer. And he's going to win this. He really he really is. I mean, Clutch Sports and Rich Paul and LeBron James's uh, conglomerate are going to take a big L here, and the and the biggest loser is going to be Ben, because he's going to be if he if he plays again, and that's a possibility. If he plays again, he's never going to be respected. He's going to be a pariah no matter where he's at when he's on the road. He's going he's he's going to be a laughing stock, and he's going to lose hundreds of millions of potential do- dollars in earnings. It's just, it's suicide. I mean, he's got a small window in the next, what, month to get over himself, come back and play here and play well and get traded to a good team and refurbish his image, resurrect himself. But that's probably the end of the window. Great to talk to you as always. Got a lot to write about there, Marcus. Thanks for joining (laughs) us again, buddy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Marcus Hayes, Philadelphia Inquirer columnist. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MLB on TBS, National League Championship Series host, uh, joined by Pedro Martinez, Jimmy Rollins, Curtis Granderson. On-site, pre- and post-game, TBS's exclusive coverage of the National League Championship Series. TBS's Game 4 coverage from L.A. begins tonight at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, as we welcome in the great Bob Costas. Bob, how would you answer that question? You know, I thought that each of your compatriots had an excellent point, and I do believe given the trend that we're now observing, that it is inevitable that there will be some sort of electronic balls and strikes within our lifetime, if I live another X number of years. But yet, as was pointed out, 
there is a rich tapestry to the game, Dan, and I appreciate all of those nuances, the little subtleties of a catcher framing a pitch to make a borderline ball appear to be a strike, a pitcher working the zone, figuring out what that particular plate umpire has as his strike zone that day. Can I go an inch further off either corner? And so, yes, while it is inevitable, it will be a blow to the game and to its connection to generational history. That's my answer, Dan, because that's what your guys want my answer to be. But I wonder, though, Bob, we have the technology, but but we want the umpires to get every other call right. But right. when it comes to the right. strike zone, we're sort of okay with it being loosely interpreted. Why? You know, like yesterday, for example, it looked like, it looked like uh, Walker Bueller had Jock Peterson with strike three. Um, the replay clearly showed the ball had the corner. Uh, it was an 0-2 pitch, would have been strike three. The at-bat continued. He got a base hit. It was part of a scoring inning uh, for the Braves. You're right. We want everything down to the micro-millimeter uh, in every other call where replay is allowed. It's not allowed, by the way, on check swings, and we saw how that happened uh, the last pitch of the game in Game 5 uh, in the division series between the Giants and the Dodgers. I guess the resistance with... Uh, with balls and strikes is whether or not they really believe that electronic strike zone is infallible. Um, mm. And there are some arguments about the depth of the strike zone and whether we can exactly get a guy's stance. What if the guy's stance changes? He goes into more of a crouch. He's whatever the case may be. Uh, the break of the pitch can technology perfectly capture that to where, okay, the plate umpire is 98% accurate, but can the, and I'm making that figure up, but let's say that's the figure, 98% accurate. Uh, and electronically, if we're only 99% accurate, is that worth it? Um, and I'm not so sure that I'm as up as I should be on all the aspects of this uh, to be able to say that they've gotten it to the point where an electronic balls and strikes approach will be infallible. What was the if mood? It's infallible. If it's infallible, it's inevitable. What was the mood like prior to Cody Bellinger's home run last night? Dodger Stadium was about as quiet as 50,000 people can be. You heard murmurs rather than cheers. Uh, a few brave souls tried to get a Let's Go Dodgers chant going, uh, and it, it went nowhere. When Will Smith and A.J. Pollock got hits and brought um, Bellinger to the plate, then the place came alive. And when he connected, it changed from a morgue into a madhouse, just like that. And I, what is it about Bellinger? You know, like it used to be the Mendoza line was the embarrassing number at 200. He's about 165 during the season, but seventh inning on in the postseason, he's become a different hitter. What, what has gotten into yeah, Bellinger? Well, you know, he's, he's had excellent regular seasons previously, and this season there was a combination of things, injuries, and then he couldn't get untracked. Uh, and now I guess he's just feeling it. What was really interesting, uh, the home run yesterday uh, that he hit off Luke Jackson, that pitch was up. And usually the book with Bellinger is, if you're going to miss, miss up, because he has that extreme uppercut yeah. swing, and he'll just lash a low pitch out of the park. And somehow he got on top of a pitch that probably was above the strike zone uh, and hit it 400 feet. What's the biggest storyline so far of the postseason? 
Well, I, I think one of them would be if the Braves, who are still up, despite the fact that the momentum seems to have changed, the Braves are up two games to one. Uh, the biggest storyline could be that if we ever didn't realize it, we realize it now. This is a tournament, 162 games to get there, but already the team that won the most, 107, is out. Didn't even get to one step from the World Series. Out. Close series with the Dodgers, but out. The Dodgers won 106. They could very well be out. The Braves, let's say, could make it to the World Series. 88 wins was the fewest for any division winner. And the Red Sox could very well, as a team that barely qualified as a wild card, the Red Sox could very well be their opponent. Uh, The old saying in sports, it's not so much who you play, it's when you play them. It's a long season. Uh, The way pitching staffs are used now with openers and uh, starters being applauded for giving you four solid innings, it's just a different game than it used to be, and more so than ever especially with two wild cards, and maybe in the future there'll be more wild cards than that, the postseason is just a roll of the dice. How do you think history is going to treat Jose Altuve? The longer his career goes and the better he performs, uh, it's a good question, but the longer his career goes, the better he performs, uh, the further it is in the rearview mirror. Uh, I think on balance, it'll treat him kindly. Uh, Carlos Correa said recently, that Jose was somebody who did not want to hear the banging on the trash can, uh, that he did not benefit uh, from that. But then there's the image of him coming around third after hitting that series-winning homer off Aroldis Chapman, and he appears to be clutching his jersey, and he's yelling at his teammates, don't rip my jersey off, uh, and that led to speculation that there was some kind of wire on him. Um, so if Carlos is correct, maybe Altuve was uh, an innocent spectator um, who just didn't spill the beans because of the code of Omerta. But uh, if the thing about wearing a wire is true, and if we ever get a definitive answer to that, that could change the picture. But I think that generally speaking, people's memories outside of those who feel that they were directly burned by the Astros, Dodgers fans from 2017, whatever, I think most will be forgiving because he's a terrific player. And from all indications, he seems to be a very nice guy. Yeah, but Shoeless Joe Jackson maintained he never took any money, and he hit 375. Um, but yep. you know what? He's uh, he's paid the price. Is well, uh, obviously, barred from the Hall of Fame, never going to get in. Yeah, you know, he was actually. People don't realize this. He was actually on the ballot in the early days of the Hall of Fame. He was on the ballot. Hmm. Never got enough support. He died in 1950. He, he was still technically eligible for veterans committees until in 1991, two years after uh, Pete Rose was banned by Bart Giamatti, the Board of Directors of the Hall of Fame put in a rule that said anybody who's on the permanently ineligible list is not eligible for the ballot. And that was obviously aimed directly at Pete Rose, since at that point uh, Joe Jackson had been dead for more than 40 years. Um, you know, and <laughs> here's just an aside. Uh, I'm not a moralist on this. I don't know if I've talked with you about this before, Dan, but my dad was an inveterate gambler uh, of the Guys and Dolls Damon Runyon school. He bet with guys named Blinky and Three Finger, who undoubtedly were connected to the mob. Um, And this is in the 1960s. Uh, And very often the mortgage wrote on whether he would win his bets or, or lose his bets. So I'm not being a moralist about this. But... 
within the last decade, every commissioner of baseball has testified before Congress that legalized gambling would be the end of sports as we know it. It would be the worst thing that could ever happen. And now there's so much money available, they can't turn their backs on it. And not only do they embrace it, they promote it. And yet Pete Rose, who's in his 80s and who you wouldn't want to defend in every respect as a person, I'm not going to defend everything he did in baseball or outside baseball, he never did anything so far as the evidence we have, never did anything that undermined the integrity of the competition as much as those who are still in the game and have been suspended but have returned, those who were on the Hall of Fame ballot, whether they get elected or not. Here he is on the outside looking in. How, how can this be made any more absurd? What would the harm be? If Pete Rose went on the Hall of Fame ballot or was eligible before a Veterans Committee, and if he's on the ballot, the clock should start from zero. He was never on the clock, so you should get 10 years on that ballot if you want to do it that way, or make him, given his age, immediately eligible for Veterans Committee considerations. And if people want to hold the gambling against him in light of all the present realities and in light of all the comparisons to other people within baseball and their misdeeds, let them do it, but at least let him be considered. Well, I just wonder, and, and I, I've talked to the uh, previous commissioner about this, of further evidence did Pete bet when he was playing, which I believe he was betting when he was playing. And we know that he bet when he was managing. And he said, well, and years ago he, he told, uh, told me and Keith Oberman, I bet on my team to win. Well, you can manipulate the lineup to help you win. Um, and I don't – can you separate Pete as the manager betting on baseball with just Pete as the player and maybe we don't have as much evidence there that – like could, could I put him in the Hall of Fame because he was a Hall of Fame player and, you know, punish him by keeping him out of baseball because of what he did as a manager? Is it, is it fair to split him up like that? Well, in the big picture, I think you can, you can temper justice with mercy – uh, people who've committed heinous crimes, and I realize there's an apple, apples and oranges aspect here, but people who have committed heinous crimes get paroled in less time than this. <clears throat> and we know that if Pete Rose lives to be 100, in the first paragraph of his obituary will be the fact that he bet on baseball and was banned for baseball, from baseball because of it. The price that he has paid in his life and in his legacy is enormous. So... You, know, you could take that into account, I would think. By the way, I asked uh, Rob Manford that question about five years ago. Is there anything in that baseball has on Pete Rose that the public does not know about? You don't even have to specify it. But is there something beyond the public understanding that leads baseball to say, to say no, this is a non-starter? And his answer to that was no. Yeah, our reasons are out there. We know what our reasons are. If I gave you one vote, Pete Rose, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds. You know, Dan, you ask such good questions. Um, (laughs) You know, I've said this before and I said it to you. Uh, Some people with regard to Barry Bonds, let's say, uh, Tom Verducci is one. I have great respect for Tom. He says, I don't care if you took steroids the last year of your career and you already had a record number of home runs. If you ever did it once, that's it as far as I'm concerned. My position is a little bit more lenient than that. 
when you talk about Clemens and especially Bonds, you're talking about people who are on the short list of the greatest of the great. If you shrunk the Hall of Fame by 80 or 90 percent on their performing merits, they'd still be in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, I could see voting for all of those guys. Um, especially because of uh, the price they have paid to their reputations, the amount of time uh, that they have waited. Uh, <clears throat> I'd probably go, I'd probably actually go Rose Bonds Clemens in that order. Rose Bonds Clemens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But with, with, with ambivalence. Yeah. With ambivalence. You know, in the case of Bonds, it's a terrible shame. Barry Bonds is a very intelligent guy, and his baseball IQ is at an Einstein level. And on his natural merits, he'd be in the discussion of the dozen or so greatest all-around non-pitchers who ever played. And think how much better his legacy would be outside San Francisco, where they love him seemingly unconditionally. But think how much better his legacy would be if he had hit 575 career home runs, you know, hit 295 lifetime, won all the gold gloves, had all the great seasons. You know, he'd be in the Hall of Fame, um, and he'd be, he'd be close to universally respected and admired. And when Barry Bonds wants to sit with someone and talk with them, he's so engaging. He has that beautiful smile. Um, people who know him well talk about his charitable acts and how, uh, and how engaging he can be. But he did play a good portion of his career with a chip on his shoulder because of the mistreatment that his dad had received and because of some of what he saw uh, Willie Mays go through earlier in his career, although now Willie is, is beloved by everyone. So there was a chip on his shoulder, and a lot of that was projected to the media. But so what? Had he never used steroids, had he never turned baseball into a video game and distorted the competition, all of that would have been a mere footnote, and he'd now be, be at the top of the Hall of Fame pyramid. It's a shame. I remember asking him about all of this information that, you know, he is, you know, his baseball IQ. And I said, do you share this information with your teammates? And he goes, no, because one day they could be my opponent, not my teammate. Oh, God. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Because tonight we're teammates. Yeah. But tomorrow we, we might we not, not be. share it during the World Series. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to win the World Series. Uh, well, have fun tonight, Bob. It's great to talk to you. And uh, thanks for joining us as always. Thank you, Dan. Take care. That's Bye. Bob Costas. Uh, he'll be joined by Pedro Martinez, Jimmy Rollins, Curtis Granderson. Pre and post game. That's on TBS, the home of the National League Championship Series. And Game 4 coverage tonight in Los Angeles, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific.